lovely to be with you today here and carried off and have the opportunity to come and minister from God's precious word. At this stage of our meeting, we're going to have our scripture reading. And if you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me, please, to the epistle to the Hebrews, to Hebrews and chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And we commence our reading at verse 12. Hebrews 13 and verse 12, the word of God says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words, Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. And may God bless to us the public reading of his own inspired and his infallible word. I'm returning again to the epistle to the Hebrews and to Hebrews chapter 13. Perhaps the best known chapter in the book of Hebrews is Hebrews chapter 11. It has sometimes been called the chapter of the heroes of the faith that explains what faith is. And then it gives us some wonderful examples of men and women of faith, of those who loved and who served the Lord in a very remarkable way. Some Bible commentators have called it God's Hall of Fame for Hebrews of Faith. Another man, he called it God's Westminster Abbey for Heroes of Faith, because he said that in Westminster Abbey, there are some of the great and the good, the greatest and the best of the nation were buried 
in Westminster Abbey. And every time I think about that man, I think about the story that was told about one day there was a guide. And of course, every day in Westminster Abbey, he took parties round and explaining who was buried here and who was what he did and what she did and going over the whole uh, life story of the people who were buried there. And it was during the, the, the 60s and the Beatles, they were top of the hit parade all the time. And as this guide was speaking about so many great men who were buried in the cathedral, a wee girl says, oh, I think they should bury the Beatles in this cathedral. And the man says, so do I, as long as it's this afternoon. And uh, he wasn't uh, too enamored with their music, but there you are. But here's God's hall of fame of the great men and women of faith. We read about Abel, that he offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We read about Noah, who was warned of God, of things not seen as yet, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, and in which he condemned the world and obtained a righteousness which is by faith. We read about Abraham and through then to Moses, and then the Bible uh, says there, the apostle says in verse 32 of Hebrews 11, what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah and David also and Samuel and the prophets. And he goes on to speak about their great acts of faith. And then he, he says they through faith subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. Thinking about Daniel. They quenched the violence of fire. Perhaps the Hebrew children. They escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Verse 35 says, women received their dead, raised to life. Oh, the, the, the great examples of men and women of faith. Another man described the whole chapter. He called it thumbnail sketches of the heroes of faith. Because just in a few verses, he sums up the life and the testimony of the men and women of faith. But we were reading there in Hebrews chapter 13. And I want to leave with you particularly verse 20. Because just as in Hebrews 11, we have so many short, pithy, thumbnail sketches of the great heroes and heroines of faith. In verse 20, we have what we might describe as a, a thumbnail sketch, a short, pithy description of our God. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, verse 21, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. In this part of the 13th chapter of Hebrews, there is what they call a, a doxology or a benediction from verse 20 through to the end. And the apostle speaks of the glory of God and exalts the Savior. 
Throughout the epistle to Hebrews, as you know, one of the key words is the word better. And we have a better priesthood. We have a better sacrifice. We have uh, a a better uh, saviour in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And the one who is the Messiah, and the apostle speaks about him and about his merits and the merits of his precious blood and about his mediation that he is our great high priest and about his power, his might, and about his majesty. And Hebrews, of course, uh, teaches us the greatness of our Savior and the greatness of our God. Young fellow who was brought up in Scottish Presbyterianism, saved by the grace of God early in life, was giving his testimony at an open-air meeting. And there came along a few people to mock and scoff and poke fun at the young man who was just in his teens. And one boy shouts at him, Well, what is God anyway? The young fellow brought up and being taught the shorter catechism, he says, God is a spirit. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And the mockers just went on. Thank God for such a, a reality and for the, the great, concise teaching even of our shorter catechism. But I want to think with you just for a moment or two what the apostle says here about God. You notice, first of all, he is described as the God of peace. Now, the God of peace. Peace is a word that is bandied about in this civilization in which we live. And in every country of the world, no matter where you go, it has its own problems its troubles, its hardships. And in some places there are terrorism which is rampant all of the time. Some places today they're in in a war situation and men and women would long for peace. And yet we have to realize that the great question of men and women down through the years is how can a man find peace with God? Or as Job said, how can a man be just in God's sight? And the great truth of the the Reformation, of course, was the, the great doctrine of justification by faith. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We lived a life of sin. And in our lives, oftentimes, The storms come, and men and women look for peace. Peace of heart, peace of mind, peace of soul. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, you remember that famous verse, the Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God today, our God is the God of peace, and we have peace with God through justification. The Lord Jesus Christ took our place, died for us, 
reconciled us to God according to Colossians chapter 1, where the Bible says there that we have peace with God through the blood of his cross. Having made peace, the Bible says, through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto him, by him I say, whether they be things on earth or things in heaven. And the apostle says, even you, you and me, who were alienated, who were enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through his death. So our God is a God of peace. We often hear it said about men and women, and they have lived their life, and they perhaps are coming to the end of their life, and someone says, I wonder has that man or woman made their peace with God? Because that's the most important thing, that we are at peace with God, that we are reconciled to God. And the only way we can be reconciled to God is through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through the work of Christ upon Calvary's cross. And we are justified by faith and we have peace with God. We are reconciled to God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord promised, even in John 14 and in other scriptures, that there is a place prepared for men and women. There are mansions in the glory for those who are at peace with him. And in the epistle of John over there in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says, He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we have peace with God by an act of justification, by our reconciliation to God, by his redemption through the precious shed blood and through this propitiation whereby he, uh, the sacrifice of Christ has propitiated, has appeased the wrath of God that was against sin so that you and me, that we might have peace with God. So our God is the God of peace. He is the peacemaker. Men have tried, in a sense, to make peace with God. Men have tried by their religious efforts and by their religious ceremonies to find themselves at one with God. But there's only one way, the old chorus says, there's one way God said to get to heaven and Jesus is the only way. And there's one way to reach those pearly mansions and Jesus is the only way. And there's one way to have peace with God and it's through Christ. But God is the God of peace. And he brings us into a place where we have peace with himself. Now in the epistle to the Hebrews there, in that chapter... In chapter 13, you notice what it says. Now, verse 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. He is the God of peace, but he is the God of power. All power is his in heaven and on earth. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
The Bible teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, he was there in the beginning. He's the co-equal, co-eternal Son of God. He was there, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God spake, and the Bible says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The theologians call it ex nihilo, that God spake, and God created the heavens and the earth, the world, the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe in which we live. God created it by the word of his power out of nothing. Out of nothing. God speak. And it was done. And it stood fast. And he's the God of creation. And the God of creation who placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we know how they sinned and they disobeyed and they plunged the whole human race that was to come into a state of sin and misery. The God of peace and the God of power did not leave them in that state. But in Genesis 3, 15, we have what's sometimes called the proto Evangel, the first great promise of salvation when God said, One day the seed of the woman, referring to the virgin born Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent at that place called Calvary. That God, who is the God of creation, is a God of redemption. And the God who can save men and women from their sins. But in order to save them, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, had to take upon himself a body. He had to humble himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was in the the form of a servant, a righteous servant of God. Thank God who the, the prophet said the righteous servant would justify the many. And when he died upon the cross of Calvary and he shed his precious blood, the Bible says here, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ who died for us upon the cross. The the scripture says he was raised for our justification. Thank God today there is a saviour who loved us. Who died for us. Who paid the price for our sin upon the cross. And on the third day he was raised for our justification. He said I lay my life down. No man can take it from me. I lay it down freely, willingly, voluntarily, and I can take it up again. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. You know, the great religions of this world, they go to visit a tomb. They go to look at a casket containing the dust of a prophet, Muhammad, or a relic of the prophet, Buddha. But Christianity points to a garden and to a tomb that's empty. Because as the angel said, he is not here, for he is risen 
as he said. And our God's the God of power and creation and redemption and resurrection. And by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul describes him there in the epistle to the Corinthians. He says, and Christ is the first fruits. The Lord Jesus Christ, he died and rose again. And because he lives, we often sing the hymn that is the paraphrase of the words of Scripture. Because he lives, we will live also in him. Because he lives. He's the first fruits. And we know, therefore, that when a child of God dies, for them, soul is absent from the body to be present with the Lord. The body may be laying in the grave. But there's coming a day, glorious day of resurrection, when the body will be reunited with the soul. And it'll be a perfect body. It'll be an, an immortal body. It'll be fashioned like unto Christ's glorious body. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more ailments. Completely perfect. But he's the God of power and even in preservation. Did not the psalmist say in Psalm 121, he preserves my soul, he keepeth my foot, he preserves my going out and my coming in and even forevermore. There was a missionary, Dr. DeHaan, told about it in one of his daily readings, he told about a missionary who was away in a foreign land and the people were worshipping at the great shrine of Buddha. And as he watched those people, he saw there was a, a, a statue of Buddha and it was called the reclining Buddha. In other words, the Buddha was lying there, his arms folded, and he was fast asleep. It was called the reclining Buddha. And the old missionary stood and he watched those people and he began to proclaim the gospel and he reminded those people that the God he served says uh, 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 the psalmist in Psalm 120, he that keepeth thee will neither slumber nor sleep. Neither slumber nor sleep. He's ever watchful over his people day and night. So our God is described here as the God of peace. He's described as the God of power. And then you notice that it says here in Hebrews 13 and 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. That tells me he's the God of provision. The God of provision. In the scriptures, there's that relationship. We are described as the sheep of God's pasture. We sometimes sing Psalm 100, the old 100. We are his flock, he doth us feed. The Bible reminds us that the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the great shepherd, the great shepherd. He is the, the, the chief shepherd and bishop of our souls. He is the good shepherd, the Bible says in John 10. The good shepherd who giveth his life for the sheep. 
And years ago, there was a lovely gospel song, and it was paraphrased in the words of Isaiah chapter 40, where the Bible says there in Isaiah 40 and verse 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. The old gospel hymn said, Gentle shepherd, lead us home. The psalmist David says, The Lord is my shepherd. And maybe even this morning in church, you know, you have a head knowledge that Jesus is a good shepherd, the one who loved us, the one who died for us on the cross. You know that he is the, the, the good shepherd and the great shepherd who, 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 who led the flock into the green pastures, who led the flock beside the still waters, the shepherd who met and provided all their needs and the one who says to this very day my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus he is the gentle shepherd but Martin Luther the great reformer said Christianity is the religion of the personal pronoun the Lord is my shepherd do you know him Today, is he your shepherd? Well, let me just close by saying this. Hebrews 13 and 20. He's the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the God of power. The great shepherd of the sheep, the God of provision who leads the sheep, who protects the sheep, who provides for the sheep. So that even when it comes to the hour of death, the psalmist could say, Yea, even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, they protect me. But it says, great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. It reminds us here, he's the God of pardon. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And that title is given to that covenant to distinguish it from all other covenants that have been made. Here's the everlasting covenant. That through the precious shed blood of Christ. How the apostle tells us in Hebrews that uh, there were blood that was shed from bulls and goats, but it was not possible for the blood of bulls or goats to take away sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he shed his blood. And in one never to be repeated, one sacrifice for sins forever, then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says it is the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, that cleanseth us from all sin. We sometimes sing the hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not our good works, not our baptism, not our confirmation, not our church attendance, not our being an office bearer or anything else. But what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1 and 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, 
even the forgiveness of sins. We are justified and our sins are forgiven through his blood because he's the God of pardon. Listen, God would rather pardon men and women than punish men and women. This world wants to characterize and caricature God. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's why the Bible says here, he is the God of pardon. And he brings us salvation through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And you notice there that it says then, the one who is the great shepherd of the sheep and through the blood of the everlasting covenant, he will make you perfect. That word means complete. He'll make you complete. So many in this world today, they're, they're searching. Perhaps they don't know what they're searching for. They're longing for that inner peace that only comes when they have peace with God. They, they, they're longing for some power in their life that will enable them to break the habits and the chains and the addictions and the fetters and the bondage and the fetters of sin. And they're longing that somehow or other they might be provided for. That their sins might be pardoned. Like many of old, as you read of infidels who denied the very existence of God and it came to the point when they came to die and their friends sat around the bed and talked to them and said, Hold on! And they cried out, Oh, I've nothing to hold on to! Nothing. But the God of power, and the God of peace, and the God who provides, and the God who pardons, he can make men and women, not make them sinless, and they'll not be sinless until they get home to glory, but he make them complete or mature in Christ. And as the old gospel hymn says, he'll give you something worth living for. Give you a life with purpose, and a life with meaning and a life that's glorifying to him. Because as the Bible says there in verse 8 of Hebrews, Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday and today and forever. What he could do for men and women in days gone by, dear friend, he can do for you. It is no secret what God can do. May God bless these thoughts from his word to our hearts.